0: The race to replace Erin O'Toole as leader of Canada's Conservatives took a surprising turn with the party's leadership committee removing Patrick Brown as a candidate. It's alleged that a private corporation had paid members of Brown's campaign staff, which would be a violation of Canadian election law. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Ryan Tumulty joins me to discuss how these allegations came to light, whether Brown has any recourse in this matter, and how this changes the race in the remaining two months. Don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. We're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Ryan, what has already been a fairly lively conservative leadership race took a hard left turn last Tuesday with the surprise announcement that one of the frontrunner candidates, Patrick Brown, was no longer. Eligible or allowed to run for leader of the Conservative Party. What exactly transpired on Tuesday night?
1: So Tuesday night, Chris Nardi, another post reporter, and myself started to get tips that there was something going on. That the leadership election organizing committee, or or LEOC to its friends, was meeting in an emergency session and was considering disqualifying Patrick Brown from the race. And just after we got our story of that, all that information was confirmed by the party that they had in fact voted. They voted 11 to 6 from our sources to disqualify Brown from the race. And what they alleged was interesting. Now, last week, conservative leadership candidates got a copy of the party's membership list, Mm -hmm. which has swelled considerably over the course of this leadership campaign. There are nearly 700,000 Conservative members who are now in the party and eligible to vote in this race. And so, a lot of the speculation when we heard about this qualification was that it had something to do with that membership list, that maybe members hadn't been signed up appropriately. But that turned out not to be the case. The party, Leoch said that the issue was with campaign financing. And they went so far as to say that they weren't only kicking Brown out of the race, but they were forwarding their concerns to Elections Canada, um, specifically the commissioner of elections who investigates these sorts of issues.
0: When this all broke on Tuesday night, I, I mean, I, I woke up Wednesday morning to see all, all of what had transpired. Initially, the allegations were kind of hazy. We weren't quite sure what it was they were alleging that Patrick Browner's campaign had done, other than, as you said, that it involved campaign financing. There were serious allegations and they weren't just kicking him out of the race. But as you say, they were kicking it up to Elections Canada because it potentially violated elections law. In the immediate aftermath of what transpired on Tuesday, what was the Brown campaign's reaction to being kicked out?
1: So the Brown's campaign reaction was that they were caught off guard, that the party hadn't given them adequate information to respond to these allegations. They accused the Polyev campaign of having been behind this, but they also revealed themselves as to what more specifically they were being accused of. So what they're being accused of is that some of their campaign staff, instead of being paid by the campaign, were being paid directly by a corporation. Now, Canadian election law is pretty clear on that. Corporations can't make donations yeah. of any kind, including paying staff. That would be you know, a huge breach of campaign law in a leadership campaign or in a general election.
0: So if the campaign itself said this is what we're being accused of— what did they say about the allegations themselves that, you know, we're being accused of this, but we've done nothing wrong or we've been accused of this, but there's been a mistake. What what exactly did they have to say for themselves?
1: Yeah, so that has changed over the days since the allegation came out. First, they said, again, they didn't have enough information to respond to this. So they said that the party didn't tell them which staffer was being paid by or allegedly being paid by which corporation. So they didn't have the tools to sort of track this down. They said that they should have had better opportunity to address this, that it could have been fixed essentially, and that they were unaware of it, that they didn't know that this person was being paid by an outsourced corporation.
0: This has turned into a bit of a back and forth. The party made these allegations, Brown responded, and then it's kicked back to the party. And Ian Brody, who, you know, a prominent member of the conservative movement in Canada, who's involved with the leadership He's the committee chair, correct? What has he had to say about both the allegations about Patrick Brown's campaign and also the response that the Brown campaign had to these allegations?
1: Yeah, Leoc Brody is the chair, and he said that they gave the Brown campaign more than a week to sort of explain this and to satisfy them that nothing had gone wrong and that they they really didn't do that at any point. And they've rejected the idea that the Brown campaign didn't know what was going on Several Conservative Party sources have told me that they knew exactly what was happening and that they should have responded better, and that, you know, Brown was even offered an opportunity to meet with Conservative Party officials and chose not to. Sounds like he sent staff instead. Mm -hmm. So their suggestion is that, you know, Brown knew exactly what was going on and had every opportunity to address this and didn't. And so the party felt it had no choice.
0: Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, the Brown campaign, I think, initially tried to take the opportunity to, to say well, this is just a corrupt process. This is just a way to get me out of the race so Pierre Poiliev can win. And, you know, I know in leadership races, there's always accusations of underhanded behavior between campaigns. They always seem to be like fights to the death within the party. And then the party has to put on United face after the fact. But where did the allegation come from in this case? It didn't come from outside Brown's campaign, did it?
1: No, the the call was coming from inside the house, as we found out Thursday evening, when the whistleblower came forward. She came forward through a lawyer. Her name is Deborah Jodin. She is a longtime Conservative Party volunteer. She volunteered with a few different campaigns over the years, and she was working as an organizer. She says that not only did she discover that she wasn't being paid appropriately, but when she brought these concerns directly to Patrick Brown... And she was still being paid by a corporation. And she says, you know, Brown was fully aware of the problem.
0: Do we know who this corporation is? Like, what's the process by which she was involved with the campaign? And is it a case of, you know, money was being paid to the campaign to pay her? Or she was being paid by this company, but then acting in a quote-unquote volunteer capacity for the Brown campaign?
1: Yeah, so that's some of the details that we haven't heard yet this has been forwarded to the commissioner of elections to investigate so the party is being a little mum on some of the details so the identity of the corporation hasn't come down yet but it sounds as though you know she was working on the campaign and was getting a paycheck from a corporation instead of from the campaign itself there's a lot of gray area i guess in some of these rules lots of people you know employ people who might in their off hours then help the brown campaign but they work as volunteers and they still have full-time jobs. And certainly this is an area where, you know, it can be difficult to sort of establish exactly where the line is. But if what Mr. Dan is saying turns out to be, you know, provable, then it's well over where the line is.
0: As mentioned in your reporting at nationalpost.com, this was not a unanimous decision among the leadership election organizing committee To disqualify him, it was an 11-6 decision. Was it based on whether people believed the allegations or felt that they were serious or not serious? or How did that vote split play out among the committee?
1: So what I've been told by Conservative Party sources who spoke to me confidentially is that the issue was not whether or not these were serious allegations or whether or not it felt like it was credible. Apparently, there was unanimous belief among Leocq that these issues should be looked into by Elections Canada. The question that was there was, do you disqualify Brown now, or do you disqualify Brown after the Commissioner of Elections has had the opportunity to look at these allegations? I can see sort of both sides of those arguments because you know, the, the Elections Commissioner has often taken months or even years to determine something in an investigation. You know, that investigation almost certainly would not have been done before the leadership race was over. So I can see where that concern comes from. But there are also people, you know, on Liak who felt like there's a process and it's important to follow that process through to its outcome before making any decisions like disqualification.
0: And at this point in the race, we've already had ballots printed, correct? Is Patrick Brown, even though he's been disqualified as a candidate, is still a choice or an option for Conservative Party members?
1: Absolutely. Patrick Brown will be on the ballot, we were told. Basically, what we have been told is that the Conservative Party had an existing stable of members, obviously, who are going to be able to vote in this thing, as well as hundreds of thousands of new members that the assorted leadership campaigns brought into the fold. All of the new members had to be vetted, you know, make sure that they were living where they said they were and issues like that. But we heard that the existing stable of conservative party members, the ballots were printed for them and even mailed out before this decision was made on Brown. So the party has decided not to reprint ballots to avoid any sort of confusion there and to send out ballots with Brown's name on them. And his votes just won't count when the party does the tabulations.
0: Doesn't that present a problem for them? So let's say there are a bunch of disgruntled Patrick Brown supporters who say, no, we don't buy into this process So we're going to vote for him anyway, kind of as a middle finger to the party. How do they go about justifying like, you know, we have all these first place ballots for Patrick Brown, but we're not counting them. And so we'll just go to his second place choices or none of those ballots count?
1: No, anyone's choices on the ballot other than for Patrick Brown will count. In fact, what they're going to do is if someone votes for Brown on the first choice, the party will look to their second choice and bump that up. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to have Patrick Brown, according to his own numbers. And admittedly, that's all we have from any party or any leadership campaign. According to Brown, he sold 150,000 members during this campaign. That's second to Pierre Polyev, who claims to have sold over 300,000. But it's still a significant number of voters who are probably going to feel a certain bit of disenfranchisement over this decision. We'll be right back.
0: When a party's doing a leadership contest, they typically want it to focus on the candidates and the debate over policy. They don't really want the process to be the story, right? I know it always isn't to some way because parties have strange rules compared to general elections. They have point systems or delegate systems, and there's always complaints about whether that's fair to some candidates and unfair to others. But they generally want the process not to be the news and here we have the process kind of taking over all of the news in the race for the past few days and it potentially will continue as patrick brown has said that he wants to challenge his disqualification what has the party said about the disqualification the process and how this has kind of taken over the oxygen in the room
1: i've spoken to a few party officials over the last few days and and none of them was eager for this outcome None of them wanted this to happen. They didn't want to have to disqualify a candidate mid-race like this. But they just felt that the, you know, allegations were so serious, they couldn't ignore them. Like I said off the top, they go beyond just breaching the party's rules. They're potentially breaches of Elections Canada rules. And, you know, that makes the Conservative Party part of this beyond just the Brown campaign. Mm -hmm. So they were very eager not to do this, but felt they had no choice. Certainly they want to move on. Patrick Brown has hired lawyers and has insisted that he is going to appeal. It'll be interesting to see what avenues he has for that. I think he will face an uphill challenge. The party has a very limited appeal process in its own rules. And then courts have generally, not universally, but have generally allowed federal political parties to set their own rules around things like this. So I think it'll be an uphill challenge for him. But definitely, you know, the party wanted to move on to a race. And I I know speaking to a few people in other campaigns, particularly the Pierre Polyev campaign, who say they didn't want this. They wanted to beat Patrick Brown through the balloting process, through the election process. They didn't want this sort of disqualification that will, you know, hang over the campaign and potentially allow Brown to say, I would have won if I hadn't been disqualified.
0: As you mentioned, Mr. Brown has hired lawyers. There's been threats of legal action. He's hired high-profile Toronto lawyer, Marie Hennan. What is their argument? As you mentioned, the appeal process within the party is quite limited, and the courts generally will leave political parties to do what they do. They won't necessarily overrule a choice within an internal political party dispute. What are they arguing that they have grounds to dispute this on?
1: You know, we haven't actually seen a lawsuit yet. We've had the threat of one, but we haven't seen the details of one yet. So I don't know exactly what this argument will take if they actually end up taking it to court. You know, I think hiring a lawyer was the first step and having that lawyer send a letter was the next to maybe start to get the ball rolling, maybe see if they can't, you know, force the party to reconsider without taking it to court. In terms of, you know, what they're saying is they're saying sort of the same things they've said publicly, that they weren't properly informed, that they weren't given an opportunity to address this, that this is something more akin to a mistake that could have been easily resolved rather than a deliberate problem that had no resolution outside of this process. So I think that will be the essence of their push. But of course, it it remains to be seen if that lawsuit actually ends up getting filed or not.
0: Adding a wrench to all this, there's talk that the leadership committee was advised not to approve his candidacy at all. Obviously, they candidates have to have be approved, you know, they have to bring money to the table, they have to have signatures, they have to be vetted essentially. And we're hearing now that the leadership committee were advised not to approve his candidacy. What do we know about that so far?
1: Yeah, so we don't know any specifics about what the leadership review committee. That's just sort of like the first gateway before you enter the leadership race, what they were concerned about, what their issues were. But, you know, anyone who's been following Canadian politics over the past number of years knows some of the stories about Patrick Brown. Of course, he was Ontario PC leader until he was forced from office in a sexual misconduct scandal. Ultimately, he, you know, sued the news outlet who published those stories, and some of the details of those stories were retracted, Mm -hmm. although there was a settlement where no money exchanged hands in terms of that. And there have also been concerns about how some of his previous campaigns have been funded. Again, we don't know what the conservative leadership group was thinking when they made that recommendation. All we know from our sources is that they did make that recommendation, and the party overruled them and decided to allow Brown to run.
0: Looking at the race more broadly, Pierre Poiliev appears to be the lone front runner at this point, though there are some who felt that Patrick Brown was presenting a strong challenge to him. As you said, his campaign claims to have sold about 150,000 memberships to Poiliev's 300,000. How does this change the calculus of the race? Does this just make it all the more... Easy for Poiliev to run away with this? Does this give former Quebec premier and former federal PC leader Jean Charest a chance to make up some ground? Does it make him the de facto second place candidate at this point? And what do the campaigns feel about where they're sitting now?
1: I hesitate to wager on conservative politics because the outcome is quite often a surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, the front runner has lost in most of the party's leadership contests. That said, Pierre Polyev has a significant lead based on the numbers that we know about. He said he sold just over 300,000 memberships, and there are only 675,000 memberships in the party. So, you know, a first ballot victory is not out of the question for him. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see what the campaigns do now over in terms of getting their vote out, as well as getting Patrick Brown's vote out. Because Patrick Brown, the memberships that he sold those people still get to vote. It's not like they bought a membership only to vote for Patrick Brown. They get a ballot either way. So, you know, those ballots will be out there and the other leadership candidates can make their case now to those people that they should vote for them instead of Patrick Brown. Pierre Polyev definitely does look like the front runner. It will be interesting to see what this means for down ballot support. So to win the conservative leadership, you have to have the support of at least 50 percent of the members and there's a complicated point system that awards you know so many points per riding across the country yeah in order for him to win on the first ballot he'll have to have a pretty resounding victory if it gets to a second ballot then you start to question where other supporters go and so it shuffles up the race to have patrick brown leave like this because it's not just about his supporters it's about where his supporters might have gone and where they might filter out in the party.
0: Mm -hmm. Obviously, we'll be watching to see how that process unfolds in September, but until then, we'll see how this hiccup goes for the party. Ryan, thanks for your time.
1: No problem.
0: 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Tumulty. More from him and all our political coverage at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.